all is well, the, the daffodils spring up and blaze with a bright beauty so yellow that it puts tears in your eyes. And every year I'm amazed by its beauty. I, I almost want to stand outside and wait for them to come up. Uh, and then I always wish I had planted more of them. Are you that way? It's natural. You, get, you have sun, you have soil, you have rain, you have a nice long winter, nitrogen in the soil from all that snow that fell on those really cold days, and then you have God, and then you have daffodils. And you should be more excited than you are about that. <laughs> if I was the Lord, I would say, let's go, let's go without daffodils one year and see if they're more grateful next year. And then there are the dogwoods and the red buds that blossom in the understory of the woods. It'll be about 45 days, 44 days before that happens, so don't get too excited. And what's interesting is that those flowers don't depend on me. On a, on a spring morning, I often walk in the woods by our house later in the spring, and on the floor of the forest, uh, without planting them or without cultivating them, are millions of purple flowers. They just grow there. By no human hand, bright trillium will flower on the floor of the forest here in Michigan. And after that, the fragrance of Michigan State flower. What is Michigan State flower? Do you know this? Of course you know this. The apple blossom will come year after year naturally, and you won't do anything to make that happen. That'll just happen. God will make that happen. It's natural. It's organic. Beautiful. When God's in something, that's how it works. Natural. It's not forced. So I want to say one more thing after my series of messages on tips and tricks and hacks and all that to, follow, to help people follow Jesus. Now let's not overcomplicate things. We have professionalized church sometimes, and if we're not careful, we can put it out of the reach of common women and out of the reach of common men who need her most. And if we're not careful, we'll create something that's synthetic and plastic and temporary and not real. As a matter of fact, reminds me of something Jeannie Perrine said when I was talking with the family this week. She said, Merle is going to be buried this late this afternoon, about just before sunset. He'll be buried in a, a cemetery that's just a few hundred yards from his house. And I said to her, I said, well, it's nice that he can be there. And she said, you know, he spent hours cleaning that place up. He spent a lot of time volunteering. He would go down and he would clean it up. And if there was a big storm and the flowers were blown down, a lot of them were plastic. She said that she would be out in the garden and he would take the plastic flowers as a, as a joke and he would stick them in her garden. So she, she would be out in the garden and find these plastic flowers. We know plastic flowers when we see them. And uh, we don't want to create plastic flowers. So all the stuff that I was telling you, and over the last number of weeks in the series about ways that you can explain the gospel to people and ways that you can approach people with the gospel and ways that you can influence people to follow Jesus, all the little tips and tricks and hacks that meant so much to me. There, there is a more excellent way than even that. And I want to talk to you about that because this is the big overarching natural organic God's natural way for people to be powerfully influenced to love Jesus and enjoy him and, and to follow him. I'm a pastor, you know that. And so the word means shepherd. Uh, something in me loves to watch sheep graze on a lush green hillside. You think about sheep. When sheep are healthy, they grow wool and they produce naturally. They, they don't go to clinics about that. They don't take seminars about that. They don't read books about that. It's kind of organic. 
They don't have to have consultants or complex seminars or technical studies. They don't listen to wool-growing podcasts. <laughs> they just grow wool and bear other sheep. And in a beautiful poem that we're going to study today, written by the Apostle Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he's saying just that about the church. He's saying, don't overcomplicate it. He's going to reveal the essential, the effective, the eternal ingredient that one must have for a church to influence other people to follow our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus, and have a create an atmosphere for beautiful things to burst into eternal flower. And Paul's written this letter to a Jesus group, a church, a gathering of Jesus followers. They were a little rough around the edges. See if you can guess which letter I'm talking about. They tended to, to divide over things like sp spiritual gifts, prophecies, and tongues. This group that received the letter from Paul is trying to unify them and turn them to impact their world. After a lengthy discussion of spiritual gifts and how they're supposed to work in the church, he says something interesting. He says, but let me simplify this for you. He says, I want to show you a more excellent way. So anybody want to guess? You guessed right. You're so smart. Do you really even need me? Say yes, you do. Yes, yes Ken. <laughs> First Corinthians at chapter, you guessed right, 13. Let's look again at this most beautiful part of the Bible and be reminded about something very powerful and natural that will help us to help other people follow Jesus. He, Paul launches into one of the most famous bits of literature ever written by a human pen. And at the end of the chapter, he says what I believe is the big idea of the whole chapter at the very end of the chapter, chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and actually chapter 14, verse 1, he says, pursue love, pursue love, is what he says. For church to work, he says, one translation said, make love your aim. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going we're gonna to talk about, you, you, you remember all those circles and all those stories and all those hacks and all those tips and all those techniques and all those like really cool ideas I gave you. Remember all of them, I'm sure. But if you do forget them, find somebody to love. Find a way to love. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you who to love and how to love them. And here's why, three reasons. One, because love is essential. Love is essential. This is what the Bible says. First Corinthians 13, one through three, Love is essential. Love is essential. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I have nothing. How many of you here appreciate cookies? Raise your hand. 
See that hand? Me too. That thing, sometimes I look up on YouTube, what are those cookies? As a matter of fact, this year I made cookies for the first, Lois is out of town, and I made my own cookies one day. I, and they worked. And I ate them up. They're good. <laughs> Flour, baking soda, butter, salt, vanilla extract, eggs, and chocolate chips. Guess what kind of cookies that makes? Chocolate chip cookies. Did I get it? Did I get it all there? Did I get it, ladies, gentlemen? Did I, what did I leave out? Sugar. Oh, sugar. That's right. What would a cookie be without sugar? Okay, that's a church without love. It kind of looks like a church. It kind of looks like a church, but it's not really a Jesus church without love. The essential ingredient might be love. And, and if we forget everything else and, and we, add, we add love. This is what it's saying, verse 1. Without love, it doesn't matter what you say. And we're, you know, like we're big into talking. <laughs> uh, we're big into words. But without love, it doesn't matter what you say. Even if I could speak with the tongues of men and of angels, that'd be something, wouldn't it? You ever listen to a, like a really good Spanish speaker? I was in, Spa uh, I was in uh, uh, Mexico and riding with this lady in Mexico, and she was a very literate, very brilliant, very articulate Mexican lady that spoke Spanish so beautifully, it sounded like music. And she was on the phone with her friends, and I was just, we were just driving through Monterey, and she's just talking. And I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I wish I could speak Spanish. A big chunk of the world you could talk to if you could speak Spanish. But if you, and what if you could speak angel, whatever angel talk is, that must be something. And Paul says, if you could speak with all the languages of the world, and, and if you could make angel talk, but you didn't have love, it just wouldn't, without love, it doesn't matter what you say. Matter of fact, somebody said, you ever heard this one? What's the world's most irritating noise? Ask any junior high boy, he'll make that for you. Uh, the, the, the most irritating noise is whatever you say, no matter how eloquently you say it, when people aren't convinced that you love them, it's just irritating. I know this is a pastor. Every once in a while, I try not to. But every once in a while, I, I hurt somebody's feelings. Or worse yet, I hurt their kids' feelings. And then I notice they can't listen to me anymore. No matter how fancy I talk. Matter of fact, the fancier I talk, the, more, the harder it is for them to listen. Because without love, it doesn't matter what you say. My wife tells me that every once in a while. You're good at talking, Ken. And you need to be better at doing. There's my confession for the day. What are you going to confess? Without love, it doesn't matter what you know. Look at verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers to understand all mysteries, that'd be kind of cool. If I had prophetic powers and understood all mysteries and I didn't have love, it wouldn't matter what I knew. Without love, it doesn't matter what you say. Without love, it doesn't matter what you do. Without love, it doesn't matter what you believe. Oh, I have all my doctrine right. Yeah, but without love, that's just kind of a, that's kind of dead, cold orthodoxy. Yeah, if I had, if I had faith to remove mountains, but, but if I don't have love, it doesn't matter what I say if I don't have love. It doesn't matter what I know if I don't have love. It doesn't matter what I believe if I don't have love. I know a lot of people who are, who are advanced doctrinally and they're personally kind of yucky, kind of stinky, kind of, yeah, you know stuff, but I don't want to hang with you. 
that kind of people. And maybe I'm that way some days. Without love, it doesn't matter what you give. Can you imagine? It doesn't matter what you give. Verse 3, if I gave away everything I had, and then it doesn't even matter what you sacrifice, if I gave my body to be burned, quite the poet, this Paul, if I were to give my body, that's a sacrifice. You know, one thing I lay out in life, another thing, you can burn me up. Like people do that every once in a while. They set themselves on fire. I want to get somebody's attention. That's probably the way to do it. If you were so sacrificial that you're willing to set yourself on fire, but you didn't have love, wouldn't matter. That's interesting. One time when I met my wife, and got to know her family. She has a brother named Alvin. The other, the other day, Alvin got a bit of an inheritance that passed through my hands. And it was quite a large inheritance. I said, if somebody had an inheritance to give me, I'd want them to get it to me right away. So it was in my hands. So I called Alvin and I said, hey, Alvin, I got a lot of money for you. You want it? <laughs> Alvin likes money, you know. He buys hunting stuff with money, trucks, camo, He's got camo yetis. He's got camo cars. He's got everything camo. He's got bows. He's got guns. He's got knives. I don't know if you guys have figured this out, but if a man likes stuff like that, he could spend lots of money on it. Alvin was happy to get the money. I said, hey, can I meet you? I'll drive over to, to Brooklyn and we can meet there. I'll, I have a prayer meeting on Saturday and morning, and then after that, I'll bring you the money. I was laughing in my heart because I thought, you know, if somebody had like tens of thousands of dollars to give me, I'd want them to hustle to get it to me. So I was just doing for Alvin what I kind of thought he'd like. And we've known each other for years. Uh, Alvin's not a Christian. So I, I've always tried to love him uh, especially. So I thought I'd get him this money. And, and I met him. It was in the fall of the year. And, and we met over in that place where they sell out, it's an outdoor outfitter whose name I forgot in Brooklyn. Anyway, we met in the parking lot. Guys had dead deer in their trunks and everything. And a big dead deer with their heads hanging out, horns like that, Bambi, all of his people. And, uh, and he, anyway, we got over there and we talked for a while. I gave him his money. And like I said, we'd known each other 42 years now. And then he started to drive away and I said, I love you, Alvin. And he goes, I love you too. I was like, I was like, that was a happy day for me. I said to Lois one time, I said, your brother Alvin, did he ever show any interest in God? She said, kind of. I said, what happened? He said, well, the church had a camp out, and, you know, Dad was an alcoholic, so he never took Alvin camping, but the church was going to go on a camp out, so Alvin was really interested in that. So Alvin went with the church on the camp out, she said, but it, but it didn't work out really well because the boys that he camped with kind of took advantage of him and they had him do the chores. They had him, you know, wash the dishes and do the cleanup and stuff like that. They didn't really treat him right, so he never, he didn't say much about it, but he never wanted to go back. I know that church, that church is a fine, orthodox, Bible-believing, fundamental, Bible-preaching, doctrine-right good church with good people in it, but they failed to love that boy. 
I, I sometimes wonder, maybe it's all Alvin's fault, you know? Maybe it's all his fault. But that's why I try to love him, because I think, what would have happened if one of the leaders had seen what was going on and said, hey, boys, let's share the dish doing. Let's let Alvin do some stuff. And let's have him come back again. I don't know. I, I just wonder about that, because without love, it doesn't matter how good your doctrine is. It doesn't matter how good your choir is. It doesn't matter how good your teaching is. Matter of fact, if your choir wasn't that great, your teaching wasn't that great, and you love people, they'd probably tolerate it. Our brothers and sisters in church aren't really looking for smart people, skinny people, thanks be unto God, handsome people, athletic people, rich people, powerful people, people full of gifts, of knowledge or eloquence. Those things are all overrated. People around Jackson, I think they are looking for people who care about them. And so love is essential for a church. And I think a church that just decided, let's try to invite as many people as we can into the warm circle of God's love. Let's gather as many people as we can, or maybe just a few at a time, up next to the fire of God's love. Let's invite them into this. I think that would be just ir nearly irresistible. Now, second thing in this text is in this beautiful poem is real love is something we should focus on because it is essential. But the second thing is because it's effective, because it really is powerful in the way it works. And you see that in verses four through seven. Love is patient. It's kind. Love doesn't envy or boast and it's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in truth. And love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love is not only essential, it's effective. Verse 4, it's patient and kind and not envious or proud. Verse 5, it's not rude, selfish, or quickly offended, or quick to think evil. This is a beautiful quality. It, verse 6, it doesn't rejoice in hearing evil, but it rejoices in hearing good. Verse 7, it bears and believes and hopes and endures all things. Who could resist that? How, how the human soul longs for the experience of genuine love. Who doesn't love it? How magnetic is that? If you weren't even cool, people would love you if you were like that. Who could resist it? The person who really loves is the one who walks in when everybody else walks out. I told you the story a lot of times about getting stuck up on North Manitou Island, and my friend sees this, and he writes me, and he says, Ken, next time you go to an island, come to my island, because you don't have to hike on my island. You can take your Jeep, and you can put it on a ferry, and a ferry comes to my island, and I have two cabins, one, that, one that's our family's and one that used to be my dad's, and if you come up here, I'll see to it. You have what you need. You can put your Jeep on a ferry. The next May, I decided I would go to Boblo Island in the Straits of Mackinac at, to Scott Krasinski's cabin. Scott says, are you really going to go and bring your sons? Yes, I said. He says, good. I'll be there that week. I'll bring a friend, and I'll, be, I'll stay in my dad's cabin because it needs work, and you can stay in the family cabin with your family. No charge, and I'll make sure you have what you need. And Scott is a guy that can do, this guy can walk on water. I mean, he's good, you know, so, I, well, not really, but he's really good at fixing things and fabricating things, and, and he doesn't get stumped very easily. 
And so I, I love being in the wild with people like that. They can kill things, they can cook things for you. And uh, Scott goes up with us and he has this old guy with him, this old crusty guy with him. Kind of an odd duck, the guy was. Uh, Scott's got this guy with him. We get on the ferry, we take the Jeep over to the island. He gets it set up in our cabin. He goes, I'm gonna go over with my friend. We're gonna work on my dad's cabin. We're gonna kind of renovate it. We we're horse around the cabin and Chuck had gone over to visit Scott. And then he came back over my son. Chuck says, do you know the story? This is Chuck, he's always getting the story. And I was like, you know the story about that guy that came with Scott? I go, no. He goes, you know, he's a drunk. I go, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's an alcoholic. Scott's trying to help him. He's an alcoholic. He, he, his boys were working on a mower one time. And they couldn't get it started, and, they, and it was irritating him. So he says, hey, move that thing away from me. And he moved, they moved it closer to the road. Car came off the road and hit his boys and killed two boys. After that, his wife left him, and he went to drinking. And he never got it. His drinking dominated his life. And Scott had him up on the island trying to help him because he wouldn't go to any kind of program. Later that week, Scott and I were talking privately, and Scott kept going back and forth to the one store on the island. And I was like, what's he doing? He's buying beer and, and t tobacco. Which for a Baptist pastor, you know, if you do that, you don't, you don't let people know. I'm just kidding. You, you don't do that. Anyway, that was a failed attempt at humor. But anyway, but he, so, he go, so he goes and he's buying this guy beers because I guess if you're really, really a bad alcoholic and you stop, you can't stop right away, it might kill you. So he's buying him enough beer to keep from him killing himself. And, and the guy's addicted to tobacco, and that's really hard. So rather than him trying to break two bad habits at once, he's buying him his cigarette. So Scott's going back and forth buying him. And Scott says to me, he's standing in the kitchen, and he looks over at me, Baptist pastor that doesn't drink or smoke. And he says to me, Scott's mumbling, and he goes, yeah, buying him beers and, you know, cigarettes, and because I'm trying to help him, but you probably wouldn't do that, would you? I thought about that for a long time. And I thought, well, the way I was raised, that, that stretched me buying the guy beers and cigarettes all the time like that. But I'm not sure that wasn't one of the most Christ-like things I have ever seen in my life. Scott Krasinski trying to help that guy. Doesn't matter what you do, what you know. Doesn't matter how much faith or sacrifice you make. If you don't have love, you can't help people. But if you do have love, you might help people. Because love is effective, and even when it's not effective, it's, it's the right thing to do. There's a third thing. It, 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 real, we should devote ourselves to love, overarching everything else, because it's essential. And because it's effective, if anything is. And because the Bible says, and this is amazing, the last chunk of this, is, it's large, but it says a small thing. Love is actually eternal. It's essential. It's effective. It's eternal. Am I convincing you that you should love? I mean, just think about the, that thing in your marriage. Well, put some love on that thing. That kid, you know, that kid that does that thing. What was he thinking? I don't know. Maybe somebody needs to love him. Lo I don't understand him. Well, love him. That person irritates me. Love him. It's a thought. I don't know what to do. 
Love. I'm sick and tired. Well, love. Real love is eternal. Listen to verse 8. Love never, never fails. means it never, never wilts. It never ends. Love never ends. Prophecies, they will pass away. You know, they'll, they'll have their time. They'll come to fulfillment. Tongues, they will cease. There will be a time we don't need miraculous languages. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, we could do some deep teaching here, but that's not the point. The main point is to see the main thing, and the main thing is love is eternal, and love lasts beyond the other stuff. And, and, and so it says, and that's why it says, when I was a child, and a child only knows a little, an adult knows more, right? When I was a child, verse 11, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, this is not a polemic to get your husband to stop playing video games. That's not what it means. What it means, when I became a man, I put away childish things. It means when I was a kid, I only understood things a little bit, like on the surface. But now I'm growing up. I'm growing up and I understand things. That's the idea. It will love, you know, you uh, with prophecy, knowledge, and tongues, they one day cease, but, but you, you can't see that right now. With knowledge... Right now, it's limited. With a, with, a, with a child, they know only a little. And then you have the mirror in verse 12. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know partially or partly in part. Then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. What, what Paul is saying is all the other good stuff is limited. L love lasts. Love is essential, and it works, and it lasts. In a, in a brass reflector, uh, a mirror of the day, it would only reflect a foggy image. But if you want a clear, precise image, look through the lens of love. They say there were 200 boys in a study in the slums of Philadelphia. And some grad students agreed that a, a few of them had a chance. A few of these kids would probably make it where they were raised in this slum. Most of them would probably end up in crime, prison, drugs, broken lives. And 20 years later, the grad students returned to the study, and they discovered that of the 180 they were able to find, none of them were in prison. And, they, and as they interviewed them, one thing kept coming up over and over again among the 180 kids that were supposed to have a bad future. One name kept coming back up. It was a woman who was his teacher. This teacher's name came up over and over and over. And they said, I wonder if she's still alive. They found her. And they interviewed her. They were a little disappointed because they said, what's your secret? She said, I don't know. They said, what did you do that had such a profound effect on these boys? She said, I, I can't tell you. And then, almost as an afterthought, she just looked off into the distance. And she says, boy, I will tell you one thing, though. I sure love those boys. I love those boys. She discovered the secret that Paul is saying, and that love never fails. I had a Christian ministry that was in the place, uh, an inn, a 500-room inn in Flint. I talk about it. It was quite an experience. Our family lived in this 500-room hotel. 
And we ran a, you imagine, I still can't imagine God made me do that. <laughs> I mean, let me do that. We lived there. There were characters around that hotel in Flint. One guy, a guy we called Pumpkin, would just show up out of nowhere. He was just like materialized like a spirit. He's like there, Pumpkin would be there at the most inopportune times. And he'd be bumming food or something. He'd come in the, he had ways he'd get in the building. You'd be like, how did you get here, Pumpkin? Hey, he said, Ken, I go, Pumpkin, what, how'd you get it? I was like, how did you get in? He, he knew when the door had, a door had a magnet lock on it, and every once in a while there would be like a power surge or something. He could hear it. He, he, he pushed his way in, in that secure door, and there he'd be standing in the lobby. I'd be like, what are you doing? And he would, he would say, Ken, can I get a cup of coffee? And I, well, sure, and I'd give him a little job and then get him some coffee or something to eat back in the kitchen. I could tell you stories about Pumpkin. One time we had a big event. People were coming for this big event, and we were parking in the parking garage. It was a big thing. We'd been promoting this event. Hundreds of people were coming to this event, and we're making a big thing out of it. We wanted to treat everybody right, bring them, give them special parking. And one of the guys rolled, <laughs> one of the guys rolled his window down. His wife is, he rolls his window down. And he goes, hey, I'm, where's the parking garage? And Pumpkin happened to be there. And Pumpkin acted like he was an employee of the hotel, and he goes, here, I'll, I'll let me in. I'll just take you up there. And the guy said, oh, okay. And he starts opening his door. I'm like, Punky, no, you can't get in that man. Get out of that man's car. No, he can't get in his car. One day, I wasn't thinking. And I was distracted. And I was sitting in my van in the front of the hotel. And I'd been on a trip. And it was warm out. And the window was down. And I was just sitting there, not really paying attention. And uh, all of a sudden, I heard a, a voice. Matter of fact, that. I wrote this down so I get it right. Uh, I'm sitting there with the window rolled down. He presses his face in, the, and I'm like, hey, Pumpkin, what are you doing? And I'm kind of impatient with him. And he goes, man, do you have some change? I need something to drink. I'm thirsty. I said, no, Pumpkin, not today. I'm sorry, I said. He says, can I have your pop right there? And he points to this warm can of Diet Coke that Lois had left in the van. It's hot. It's Diet Coke. That's nasty stuff. <laughs> nasty stuff. Can I have that pop right there, he said. I said, pumpkin, it's warm. He said, I don't care. And he reached across in front of me, and he takes it before I can hand it to him. And then he frowns, he looks at it, and he goes, diet. And I'm like, well, pumpkin, that's what I drank. I drank diet. And he says, I like you. You remind me of my dad. And then Pumpkin turned and he walked away. And I watched him walk away and I started to roll my window back up, glad to get on with my other plans. When Pumpkin stopped and he looked back, the window was almost all the way up and he said, I love you. Now I think he says things like that so I will get him a cold regular Coke next time, but even if he did tell me he loved me to soften me up, his words unsettled me. It almost felt like a rebuke. I rarely let someone tell me I love you without saying I love you back. But I couldn't tell Punkin that without feeling like a hypocrite. And I rolled my window up and I sat there in silence for a few minutes. It's hard for me to really love from my heart when I have something else on my mind. So as a follower of the one who would not look on a crowd of people without weeping, I still have a long way to go. 
Which brings me to the part that I shouldn't stop preaching about this without saying. I think you probably agree with me. Love is wonderful, better than other stuff, essential, effective, and eternal. And maybe you're like I am. You don't do it as perfectly as you should or as often as you should. And you need to work on it. And your temptation would be maybe to try harder, but we don't gather big crowds of people and play bells and sing to them and wave palm fronds so that they try harder. That is not the program here. We don't do that here. That's not effective. That's not the program. We point to the one who did the thing that none of us can do. And we hide ourselves in him. Let me put it this way. What if I take a chunk of this and put my name in it? Ken. Ken is patient and kind. Ken does not envy or boast. And Ken is not arrogant and he is not rude. And Ken doesn't insist on his own way. And Ken isn't irritable or resentful. And Ken doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. And Ken rejoices in truth. And Ken bears all things. And Ken believes all things. And Ken hopes all things. And Ken endures all things. Ken would like to believe those things are true about him. <laughs> but they're not true about him as often as they ought to be true about him. But now, you ever thought about this? What if you put Jesus' name in there? Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus isn't envious or boastful. He doesn't, he's not arrogant or rude. Jesus doesn't insist on his own way. He's not irritable or resentful. Jesus doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. Jesus rejoices in truth. Jesus bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. Jesus, Jesus never fails. Now that reads better, doesn't it? And, and on this beautiful Palm Sunday, as we think about the one who is the rightful king who came into town with the shouts of Hosannas and then they ended that week laid down his life for us. Let's ask him to fill us with the love that he brought to this world. And there are people all around us who are hungry for it. And when they say, I love you, and we can say, I love you back. Dennis, come and dismiss us in prayer. Say a blessing over us, would you please?